If you'd like, you can turn in your Bibles to the third chapter of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 3. Last week, the author began to zero in on his central theological argument in Hebrews, the high priesthood of Jesus for his family, these many sons, which again, when the Bible says sons and not sons and daughters or brothers and brothers and sisters, the point is not that women are being overlooked. It's a point of the Holy Spirit pressing this idea that all those that are in Christ are treated as sons and that culture having so much more meaning. And so that's the strategy he'll use to address the problem in his audience of drifting away. He'll do that through doctrine. Jesus, the Son of God, became one of us and by doing so became a perfect high priest for us. So the truth in the gospel, the message of great salvation about who Jesus is for us is the anchor that keeps us from drifting into unbelief. And so those two big things can help us get our bearings in this letter, right? There's a problem and a solution in Hebrew. The problem is the very clear and present danger that his audience is going to fall away. The solution is Jesus, the son of God, the final and decisive word from God as our high priest, as the mediator of a new covenant, as our anchor. He brings us all the way home. And so chapter 3 continues to press now the superiority of Jesus for us. We know that the Son is superior to the angels who brought the law from God, but from three one to 4.13, really, he's going to argue that Jesus, the Son, is also superior to Moses and Joshua, two great faithful leaders from the Old Testament, one who brought the people out of Egypt to the edge of the promised land, the other who took the people of Israel in to the promised land. And today, beloved, as he writes to them, as he writes to us, there is a new people of God. There has been a new exodus, and we are traveling towards the true promised land, the new heavens and the new earth. They, these are the many sons that God is bringing to glory, his children, the offspring of Abraham. Who is leading them, right? How do they get to the true promised land? How do they avoid falling away into unbelief? Beloved, the antidote for our unbelief is our consideration of Jesus, our apostle, our perfect high priest. So if you're able, would you stand with me as we read the first Six verses of chapter 3 together. He writes, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house. If indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Let's pray. Father, I ask for your grace this morning. I ask for your mercy to be upon me, to be upon everyone in this room. I pray, Lord, that you would help me focus, please. 
That, Father, you would help me trust the text to do its work. That, Father, you would help me believe with all my heart in the glory and supremacy and sufficiency of Jesus to move the hearts of people. And so, Lord, I ask that you would be with me, that you would watch over everyone that listens. And I pray these things also for uh, the children, Lord, as they gather downstairs. Lord, I pray that you would watch over them and enable them also to hear the gospel. We ask and pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated, everyone. He writes, Therefore, holy brothers, this family God has given to his son to save by his blood, back in chapter 2, shares in a heavenly calling. Right, Our salvation is our salvation from God. And to that family, he says... Consider Jesus. And I hope, I hope this is what we've come to do here this morning. Right? That's what we're doing. That's what preaching is for. That's what music is for. That's what Sunday mornings are for. That's what Sunday school is for, to consider Jesus. The whole letter of Hebrews was written to get Christians to consider Jesus. Do you notice that? That just because we're holy brothers, the family of God, does not mean that we'll just default automatically into considering Jesus. We have to be told to do so. Because we know from chapter 2, our tendency is to drift. We are drifters by nature. You would think it would be automatic or second nature for Christians to consider Jesus. That would just be like what being a Christian is, but it isn't. And we won't answer this heavenly calling apart from considering Jesus. Why? Because the confession that we make, that we believe Jesus is Lord and Savior, Jesus is first of all in the text, the apostle of it, so the sent one from God to purchase it so that we could have it in the first place. And Jesus is the high priest of our confession. He mediates it before God so that it never fails, so that we endure to the end. Consider Jesus, God's apostle, the final word sent from God, and God's high priest, the final and only way to God. Jesus was Faithful to God who appointed him over this house, over this family. In much the same way that Moses was faithful over God's people in the Old Testament. The author brings up Moses here to continue to build his case for why we should consider Jesus. Right? Four in verse three. Consider Jesus over Moses because Jesus has been counted by God worthy of more glory than Moses. Why? Because the builder of a house is worthy of more honor than the house that he builds. Do we see this? He is likening Jesus to the builder of a house, the builder of a people. In verse 4, every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. So if there's a house of God, God is building or has built that house also. Jesus The Son of God is worthy of more glory than Moses in this family because Jesus, God in human flesh, built this house. He made this family. Moses, in verse 5, was faithful, yes, but faithful as one of the servants in the house. He testified to the things that were to be spoken later, the final things God has spoken once and for all by his son Jesus, back in chapter 1, verse 
two, Moses' ministry was deliberately constructed to help people prepare for Jesus, to help prepare God's people for Jesus. He testified of something that was to come later. This Jesus in verse 6 has also been faithful, but has been faithful over this house as the thing to which Moses was testifying to. Moses was a faithful servant of God, and we should respect him as that absolutely. But it would be a huge mistake to think that in Moses, we find the fullness of what God wanted to say to us. It would be a huge mistake to think we could somehow find our way home to God by following what Moses said in the law. Consider Jesus, because as the builder of this house, as the head of this family, he is worthy of more glory than Moses. God wants us then, we understand from that, to fix our eyes on what is most glorious to behold. And Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. There is no greater glory to behold. Consider Jesus because he's not just a servant in the house, but is the Lord and builder over the house. And here's the thing in verse 6, beloved, we are his house. We are his house. The Bible never calls a building the house of God after Jesus ascended to the Father's right hand, after he made purification for sins. Right? These holy brothers and sisters that have confessed that Jesus is Lord and King as the Son of God himself, we are his house. We, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Right? There's an if there. If we remain fixed on Jesus. That's how you prove that you belong to God in this world. Right? That's how you prove you are his house. Not by what you do, per se but by where and on what you have placed all your confidence and all your hope. You prove you are God's house by where you place your boast that you belong in it. So no wonder the primary call in Hebrews is to consider Jesus. If Jesus came so that God would make his home in his people, right? In his people. It is in them, it is in their hearts that the sufficiency of God as a Savior in Christ is established. We were, um, I guess, probably five, six years ago now, we were driving around, my family and I, in La Mesa, California. It's near San Diego or, you know, close to the beach or close to the ocean. And there was a uh, giant, like, Mormon temple type thing. Huge, beautifully... Beautiful architecture, big, huge, massive, bright white building sitting on this little raised up hill. And my Gianna was, I guess, five or six at the time. And she said, Mom, what is that? And she said, well, that's a, that's a Mormon temple. And she said, why does it look like that? And she said, well, because that's where they believe that God lives. And Gianna just busted up laughing. And she said, that is way too small to be God's house. <laughs> yeah you know that every house on the earth is way too small to be God's house right we've come to be known in this world as the church by our buildings by our buildings that's where the church is right that's how a community knows where a church is is the building It's because we don't do the Great Commission. 
God has decreed. It is there in that man, that woman, that child. That's where my son resides on earth. That person is where salvation has come. That is where I live. That is where I live in that person who trusts fully in my son to save them. That's my house. Those who believe are the household of God. Period. There, there's not another house of God. And I, I don't, I'm not singling out. We all say that. I, I say, I say to my family every Sunday, get ready. We're going to church. That's a misnomer. And I do it. Right? If we make the actual building God's house, We'll be fooled into thinking that managing the business of it is how we honor God when it's the people that need the attention. You see what the enemy does to us? You see how successful he's been in diverting our eyes? We are where he dwells on earth now and semantics matter for our endurance. For our endurance. We're meant to see ourselves In a certain light as the building of God, as the church. Not like we have to clarify after we've stated something that isn't correct, what is correct. Like it's more than that. You and I are much more sacred than this drywall and brick. Right? This is a shell, beloved, where the house of God actually comes in and gathers. It's you. You and I are his house. If, in verse 6, if, this is interesting, we hold fast by faith to Jesus. So it's not bricks and drywall that make the church. It's faith in Christ alone that make the church. Our confidence and our boasting are in our hope. That which we have faith in Jesus, our high priest. Don't forfeit that. Don't drift away from that. Don't neglect that. No holy brothers and sisters, church, consider Jesus. So to stir their hearts now, look look at what the author does. To stir their hearts and pull them back from doubting Jesus. He brings in the Old Testament story of wandering in the wilderness. This is from Psalm 95. The Holy Spirit speaking to the Israelites so that they would not repeat the sins of the wilderness generation, those that left Egypt in the Exodus and wandered for 40 years in the wilderness and then died. Hebrews takes that story and lays it on top of our lives so that we understand just precisely the kind of danger that is facing us, that we would lose our confidence and our hope in Jesus when he is much better, much more sufficient than anything that came before him. Therefore, in verse 7, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Today, this day, September the 8th, If you hear his voice, if you hear God speaking to you once and for all now in Jesus, the text always means that. 
The voice of Jesus in this message of great salvation is louder than the parting of the Red Sea. It is louder than manna and quail and trumpets. It is louder than the sound the walls of Jericho made when they crumbled down about the greatness and sufficiency of God. The voice of Jesus in the gospel is louder and clearer than all those things. And the generation that saw all those things, they didn't enter God's rest because they never believed him. And beloved, this is precisely the sin that we are being urged and pleaded with not to repeat. This is written to the church. This is written to people that he just called holy. This is precisely what we are being urged and pleaded with not to repeat. To harden our hearts towards God in spite of all his amazing grace. And goodness. What God said and displayed at the cross is louder and clearer and greater than anything He had said prior to that. We harden our heart towards God because of suffering, because of trials, because of unanswered prayers, because of anger, because of bitterness, because of sin. When Israel disbelieved after all that God had brought them through, God swore in his wrath, you will not enter my rest. Absolutely not. Today, in these last days, God has performed sufficiently and finally in Jesus everything you and I need to make it home to answer his heavenly calling. He has displayed and proven his love and his mercy and his power so perfectly, so once and for all in Jesus. And if God swore in his wrath that people who saw the Red Sea part wouldn't enter his rest because they turned his back on them, how much more if we turn our backs on the clarity and sufficiency and power of Jesus Christ? Remember, the author is talking to professing believers. Right, That's very clear in the text to people who would say, yes, I'm a Christian. I believe the truth about Jesus. This warning comes to them. It comes to us. And there's no qualification back in verse 6. The, the author is not trying to figure out whether or not the readers were actually Christians. He's, he's being a pastor and he's telling them, you have to persevere to the end to enter God's rest. You have to come to the end believing in order to enter in. Now, what do we do with a warning like that? Well, you can throw it away, right? You can say, well, it doesn't apply to me. It applies to holy brothers, many sons that God would bring to glory, his brothers in every respect, right? The, the house itself, right? His people, that, that's who it's for. That's who he's writing to. You can take it as a challenge, to buckle down and try really hard to endure. Or you can let the command do what it's intended to do and push you onto Jesus, onto this message of great salvation so that you would trust him to keep you believing. I would suggest the latter, that last one I mentioned. I would do that. There are all kinds of things that threaten our faith. That cause us to question the sufficiency of Jesus. That cause us to become skeptical about whether or not God is really good or even faithful. Or if he even cares about us or sees us. And beloved, it's, it's right here. 
It's, it's, as you walk into verse 12, it's right here at this point, the point of where it's clear that, that there is a struggle, there is a danger that we will stop believing in Jesus. It's right there that the reason for calling us to consider Jesus and not anything else is explained. Look at verses 12 and 13. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We have the daily need to consider Jesus as glorious for us in this message of great salvation because, right? Not because the culture is so evil, not because the world is so dangerous, but because the deceitful pull of our own flesh to earn God's approval through our performance will never rest. Beloved, considering Jesus is a daily necessity. A daily necessity. And the means God has provided to ensure we do this is the church, which is the people, one another. Right? God didn't create a different kind of federal government when he created the church. So that you have worthless red tape and administration that does nothing while people continue to have their needs unaddressed and unmet. That is not the church. The concern for the author of Hebrews is not maintaining a building. That isn't the church. The concern in the letter is for the actual house of God, for the believer. But what do we, where does most of our energy go? We structure our churches to maintain a building, to maintain a business, to maintain a landmark so that you could go 50 or 100 or 200 years paying the bills, keeping the doors open, keeping the lights on and believe that you're successful because of that. When in reality, people are falling away from the faith. The Bible structures the church to keep people from falling away from the living God. That's not a hypothetical danger. It's a real thing. What What is then the business of a church? Because the text is speaking to all of us this morning. And I'm not going to labor this point, And that's hard because I really want to. But if any other business sidetracks or interrupts God's business, then our business is sinful. It's antichrist. It's working against him. We need to find out how much red tape we actually need. To keep the lights on and the bills paid. And then get back to the business of helping each other not get hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Every single day. That's the business of the church. That's not Pastor Romano's cool new agenda he's bringing in. It's not my vision for the church. That's such a misnomer. I don't have a vision for the church. I have the Bible. I... I, I, I that's not a statement about me. Right? I'm, I'm, 
That's a statement about the sufficiency of God's word for his church. Right? We say it's the only source of authority. Is it? The building is a luxury, beloved. And, and what the Bible requires of the church doesn't require the church to have a building. I mean, it's a nice thing to have. It's great to have it, but you don't actually need it to be the church. That's why the church can flourish so much where they have none of it. Because the Bible is written to a suffering people who aren't at home in this world. It's not written to people that are trying to find a way to use the Bible to make the world into home. That's not what it's for. It's written to exiles and aliens and pilgrims who don't belong here, who don't love it here, who don't want to be here, who just want to get home. Doesn't mean buildings are sinful. Doesn't mean we have to get rid of them. No, 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 no. It just means that when we let the building get in the way of the business God has called his church to do, we're putting the souls of one another in peril. Is the word of God welcome in his church? Right, that's always the question. Nobody loses their salvation. The author of Hebrews is not going back on the rest of the Bible. Nobody loses their salvation. But people who don't actually believe are not saved. And that will be revealed. They are the ones who don't endure. If they had been of us, they would never have gone out from among us. And Jesus is the only way. 4, verse 14, 4 We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. The confidence of the believer for eternal life is never in the present. Right? It's it's never in if if I it's always in what was my original confidence in. That's how I make it to the end. That's there's two ifs. Between verse 6 and verse 14. Meaning our souls are too fragile here on earth. To not heed the word of God. We don't stop believing because we fall away. Do you see that in verse 12? We do not stop believing because we fall away. People that believe don't fall away. People that don't believe always fall away. You see the order in verse 12. If Christ isn't then our confidence and our boast and our hope, we will never endure. It's in the very nuts and bolts of mundane, everyday life that we need Jesus Christ to shine on us and reveal himself to us the most. It's in the daily grind. We try to live on in big places, big moments, big mountaintop experiences. Most of us, the biggest decisions we'll ever make in our lives are who we marry, Maybe whether or not we go to college and like buying our first home. Other than that, most decisions, or whether or not we'll have children. Other than that, most things are just normal everyday life. So if Jesus doesn't rule there, where does he rule you? Every 20 or 30 years? It's in the daily grind that we most need to see Jesus clearly. Notice the command is given a time stamp. How often will I need this? Right? How often should this 
Do I need to consider him and be exhorted not to forget him? Jesus doesn't, is, is more worthy. That's what the first part of the text established. Isn't that interesting? Jesus is way more worthy than 15 to 25% of my attention, my consideration, right? Our souls cannot afford divided considerations. And, and every day, there's not a day that goes by. Do you see? There's not a day that goes by where, where considering him can be on the back burner. This isn't, this isn't a call to you to do things to consider him. This is the Bible telling you, do you realize how much you need Jesus? We come to share in Christ if we hold our original confidence firm to the end. My original confidence wasn't in my works. My original confidence wasn't in my behavior. My original confidence was not in my dead willpower. My original confidence was the brokenness that God gave me by his grace in my heart so that I could see that I needed to throw myself onto the mercy and grace and power of Jesus to save me and to keep me. He was my original confidence. He must be my original confidence. He is my original confidence. It was completely in him. And beloved, that's where it has to stay. The church is meant to help facilitate that in your life, not to make you tired of church and Jesus. God gave us each other to speak these truths to one another every day. So do we realize how fatal conflict and cold shoulders and distrust and dislike are to our very endurance? And what are the things we do that feed these things? We don't have much time. We don't have much need for anything else, beloved, but the consideration of Jesus. Look over offenses. Look at Jesus. The deceitfulness of sin in Hebrews is not the pull of the culture. Stop being shocked, beloved, that the world is evil. Of course it is. The deceitfulness of sin is how my own flesh, me, right? Me will either fool me into thinking I can endure by my own strength and my own performance, or it will fool me into thinking that I can't endure and I should just throw in the towel and walk away because Jesus is not going to hold the line for me all the way to the end. The enemy is going after our belief, beloved. He's going after our faith. The culture will do just fine being evil with or without the devil. He's after us. Jesus destroyed him and his power. He's furious. We just saw that in chapter 2. Jesus destroyed the one who has the power of death when he rose from the dead. We are a daily reminder that he is finished. He hates us. Everything that isn't Jesus will distract us from Jesus. Especially in the church. This is a family. 
This should should be the safest place in our whole lives. The spirit in us witnesses to our spirits that we need this. So when church is about 50 other things rather than one thing, we're threatening our own faith. As it is said, verse 15, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Do you see the link there between verse 15 and verse 13? Do you see the repetition of the word today in this text? Do you know which days we need to fix the eyes of our hearts on Jesus? Any day you would say today. So yesterday, today, tomorrow's going to be what? Tomorrow will be today. Eventually Wednesday will be today. Eventually Friday will be today. Any day called today, I need exhorted so that I'm not hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Right? Which means I need somebody, somebody to tell me to keep believing in Jesus because he's great and sufficient. Do you see one pastor can't possibly do this. That's that's not who the command is to. Right? It's, it's, this is, this is a building. Everybody is a brick in the actual building. So I recall to exhort one another every day because it's always that today where you need to be exhorted, where you can't harden your heart like they did in the rebellion. Whether it was in the wilderness after the exodus or in America after the resurrection, don't harden your hearts like they did in the rebellion. How do you get a hard heart with quail and manna and a red sea being parted right in front of your eyes? And all, how, how, do you, how do you get a hard heart? America is a pretty good place. Lots of manna, lots of quail. Lots of amazing things accomplished. It works against your faith. That's the difficult truth nobody wants to accept. The elephant in the room works against your faith, not towards it. Yeah, I know that makes you a communist to say such things, but I'm not, not a communist. Don't harden your hearts like they did in the rebellion. The Bible says if, if you aren't telling me that, if I'm not telling you that, We're not making it home. Listen, none of us, me included, is giving any daily thought to Hebrews 3.13. Do you know why? Because our hearts are already getting hard. We don't think we need that. We question that. If, if I would have said this and not read it as a verse, we would have questioned it anyway. Right? You would have said, no, no, every day. Every day. It seems like the author is stacking his todays and his everydays. That, that's not me. Right? That's not me, beloved. That's the Bible talking to you and I. That's God. That's the Holy Spirit speaking to us. We don't think we need this, not more than we need everything else. Maybe we need it as, you know, we need everything the same. I need to be told today, don't lose sight of Jesus. He's, he's, he's going to keep you to the end. 
Don't lose sight of him. Don't be fooled by your sin. Don't be fooled by your flesh, Tony. Look to him. Look to him. Look to him. I need that every day. And so do you. That's why we're here. This verse, again, it's, it's not to the pastor for sermons. It's, it's not, it's not for a program or a class. We, we are, we are programmed to think the way we implement obedience to a command is a class or a program. Yeah, we've been doing that. People are still disobedient and confused. Right? Another class is more red tape. It's clear. Just do this. Right? You, 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 this is not like go to seminary first. So don't look. I don't know if anybody should ever go to seminary again. Okay? Just do this right here. In anybody. You, you, you are a holy brother. Right? You are a child of God, believer. You are a brick in this house. You tell your brother and your sister. You, you need, most people don't know they need that. Or they think they don't. They think they're kind of past that. I've settled that. You haven't settled anything. Right? Today, I need to hear this. Every day. Like, I'm, I'm not making that up. Like, right? We, we literally need to consider Jesus glorious in the message of great salvation as our apostle, as our high priest, every single day. The pull that we feel, beloved, the pull that we feel towards other things, do you know what that is? Do we know what's going on in us? Do we know ourselves? Do we talk to ourselves or do we listen to ourselves? The pull we feel towards other things, it's the deceitful scheming of our flesh. We need each other to get pulled out of that. That's the way God designed it. We're that fragile. We need it every day. As it is said, verse 15, Today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? You can hear it. Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Disobedience is modified. It's clarified. What is it? It's unbelief. The disobedience that causes us to defect is unbelief. Right? We have to mind belief. We, we, we don't consider Jesus because we don't think the main thing we need to be minding is our faith. We think the main thing to be minding is our works. So almost every study is what? Consider you. Consider what you're not doing. Consider how you need to be more forgiving. Consider how you need to give more. Consider how you need to be a better mom. Consider how you need to be a better husband. Consider how you need to be this and you need to be that and you need to be this and you need to be that. You know what that does? It destroys people because at the end of the day, none of us can perform well enough to have confidence in it or we become a Pharisee who does. Consider Jesus. Please 
The Bible's telling you to do it. It's not my thing. The Bible is telling us to do it. Unbelief is what happens when we neglect to consider Jesus. The disobedience that is the biggest threat to our souls entering his rest is unbelief. Our souls can't handle not being fixed on Jesus. Beloved, in the wilderness, the question was manna again, really? That's all there is? Today, the question is Jesus, really? The message of great salvation, that's all there is? What else is there? Do we not know how glorious Jesus is? This is not a burdensome command. Consider the most beautiful, sufficient, perfect, excellent person that has ever existed. Fix the eyes of your heart on him all the time. I'd rather complain. I'd rather gripe. That's what it means to do the word and not just hear it. In James 1.22. To do the word is to believe with faith and accept what God has spoken in Jesus. You see there in verses 16 through 19. There's a hearing that results in rebellion. And there's a hearing that results in the obedience of faith. Of faith. God's rest comes to those who believe his son is absolutely sufficient. God will not grant rest to those who doubted how glorious his son was. And he will respond to unbelief with wrath. We aren't being called here to focus on each other's behavior. Right? We're not being called to figure out what the need of someone else is. God is telling us what the greatest need of a person is. We need to focus on each other's hearts because, or on our own hearts, because that's the place where Jesus must be considered. The root issue in Hebrews is belief versus apostasy. It's not this behavior or that one. It's not this work or that one. The root issue is whether or not we will keep believing and considering Jesus as glorious and sufficient in this message of great salvation. Beloved. The antidote for our unbelief is our consideration of Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, the sent one who secures it, and the priest who mediates it perfectly forever before God for us. He will not fail. You and I will. He will not. So fix your eyes on him. Consider him. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who is faithful to him, who appointed him. What is it precisely about Jesus between here and Hebrews 12? What is it precisely about him that we're called to consider? Beloved, his faithfulness. How he endured to the end and accomplished Every single thing the Father had sent him to do as an apostle, but also as a high priest, as a representative, and a substitute. Consider how he is everything you need. 
Consider how he is the source of all forgiveness. Consider how Jesus is the source of all righteousness. Consider how perfectly Jesus submitted to the Father. Consider how clean such a high priest makes us by his sacrifice for us. Consider how pleased God is with him. And remember, believer, that you are his brother and he is not ashamed of you because he has set you apart and made you acceptable to the Father forever by his high priestly ministry for you. Consider Jesus when you're tempted. Consider Jesus when you feel your heart getting hardened by the deceitfulness of sin by the pull of your flesh to justify yourself with your works or to throw in the towel because you can't stop struggling. Consider Jesus. We don't prove ourselves to be God's house by what we accomplish. We prove that we are God's house by never holding on to anything but Jesus for confidence or hope. Your heart is lost cause faith the Great spiritualizing principle because faith is the state of mind that keeps us in touch with the higher world. Faith is the only thing given to us to make sense of this world because it's the only way to consider Jesus. When verse 13 tells us to exhort one another every day, parakaleo, aid, appeal, help, call upon with force, to exhort one another every day so that we will not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. The text is telling us to help each other consider Jesus every single day, the apostle and high priest of our confession, to pay much closer attention to what we have heard from him. Beloved, that is the worthwhile endeavor to which you can give your life. That's what it is to be the church. Right? We... We get this idea in our heads. We want to accomplish great things for God. Change a diaper. Hold a hand. Right? Great things for God. Look somebody in the eye and say, don't, don't give up. Don't leave. Don't. He is sufficient for you. He is praying for you. He loves you. He is enough. He is enough. We need him. We need him. We need a perspective based on rock solid objective truth that comes to us from the outside. Because experiences, they come and go. We can't have faith in them. Jesus holds the line until the end. Bank on him. Believe on him. Let's pray. I'll be down front. If you need to come and pray, you need to come and lay burdens on Jesus. If you want to join our church, if you want to be baptized, if you want to make Jesus your savior and you don't know what to do, come forward. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the time you've given us. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for your son. Lord, I pray that as a preacher and a pastor, you would help me believe the pressing urgency of this text. 
and help me believe it as a Christian. Help everyone in the room believe it. I ask and pray this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. to start a new series through Genesis called The God of Plan and Promise. Um, my goal here, one of my goals here is to preach through the whole Bible from back to front. So this is, you know, we're going to start at the beginning. I'd, I'd love to have you come. I pray that it would be a great help to you, but we'll be back at 630 if you're able to make it. Let me pray and close this and we'll be dismissed. Father, we thank you so much for the time you've given us today. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, and in his name we pray. Amen.